challenge your child to dream big. One of our favorite verses, Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. What a great promise. Welcome to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Raising kids is hard. With influences coming from troubled friends, the internet, and media sources that we may not even be aware of, teaching our children right from wrong from a biblical perspective is quite a task. Today, David is joined by his wife, Marilyn, in a heart-to-heart talk about parenting. Today's message is on parenting. We're practicing what we preach. This is my beloved Marilyn, whom most of you know. She has been my best friend and my wife, and we've had a great run. So we want to speak to you today about parenting, the questions we get asked from you about parenting, and we're going to do a different deal. Instead of trying to give you all the different tips, which will be embedded some in the message, we're going to talk about how to raise an extraordinary kid. Because we believe when you find your kid's giftedness and they focus on that giftedness, a lot of the other parenting stuff just falls in line. So we have seven different principles we want to share with you in just a moment. And Marilyn's going to comment on them and I'll ask some questions and comment also. Thank you for being with me. I appreciate it. God has given us the strength to be parents. And we have three great kids, not perfect kids. Not perfect kids. They, they have their own issues, yeah. and we've had to battle through those issues. But they're good kids, and all of them love the Lord, and they're all walking with Him, and they're all moving on in their own giftedness that we discovered yeah. early on. Yeah, and I think, I think the things that we're going to share today really would apply to all children. So let's look at these seven principles that you have mostly come up with and you have uh, authored, and I think they're profound and powerful. Let's go through each one. Here's the first one uh, for those of us who want to raise extraordinary kids, not average kids, but extraordinary kids. Discover your child's beauty. From Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, the Bible reads, by faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful. That's the key word. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. Marilyn, what does this mean? You know, David, this really is the linchpin to me of the whole focus, I think, that we had as parents. And it's interesting. I read gobs of books on parenting, and really only a few things stuck out, and this is one of them. Um, this, this point was made to me by a book that was written really, I think, in the late 1800s, a 19th century theologian named Andrew Murray, South African guy, wrote a beautiful book. I don't even know if it's still in print. It's called Raising Your Children for Christ. But he's the one that pulled out this verse out of Hebrews 11. And he said, you know, this word for beautiful is used only once in the entire Bible, and it's to describe Moses. And you're thinking, beautiful, what does that really mean? Now, just remember for a minute that this little child was only three months old. Um, there was a genocidal mania. The king was, the Pharaoh was trying to kill all the Hebrew babies. And it says that they weren't afraid of the king's edict, the parents, these little Hebrew peasants, but they also saw that Moses was a beautiful child. Now, let me tell you what that word beautiful that's used once means in the, in the Greek. It means um, sophisticated, artistic, refined, and a city dweller. 
three months old. Now, how could they see that? And I think that they were given a spiritual insight into that child. Um, Andrew Murray believes that you as a parent, all of you as parents, have the spiritual insight given to you by God to see the beauty in your child that maybe nobody else does. Um, Later on, when I did a little more study on this word, I realized um, in digging a little bit deeper that it has another meaning, and this is the one I really want to focus on with you, and it means this. The child is beautiful in the sight of God. And friends, that's every child, isn't it? Yeah, every child has every some child beauty in the sight of God. beautiful in the sight of God. And, and, and each child's different, aren't they? Every in child's whatever different. God gives them to be beautiful. And you guys know that, who has even two children alike. But I think the point is, and this is what Andrew Murray said, it's one of your jobs as a parent, this was my favorite part, I think, as a parent, to be on this adventure of studying your child. Study your child, kind of watch them. I mean, from the earliest days on, to find out how God's made this child and help them. You'll have a lifelong process of helping this child unlock that beauty, unlock that um, giftedness. Um, Another way that that Greek word was translated was extraordinary. That's why we called it raising extraordinary kids. Not that our kids are extraordinary, but that when you're raising children for God with his wisdom and with his insight, he looks at your child, he sees them as beautiful in his eyes, he's going to allow you to see their beauty, and he wants you to see them as extraordinary. Which leads to the next point that, uh, Marilyn, you've come up with in raising extraordinary kids, and that is grow your child with the grain. Looking at a very famous verse in parenting, mm-hmm. Proverbs 22, 6, but Marilyn's going to give you a different insight into mm-hmm. it. It reads, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, there's an interesting twist to this that you've discovered through the years. What yeah, is there, it? There's a little twist. You know, you read those verses and you say, okay, we'll raise them up as a Christian. And then hopefully if they wander, they'll come back. And when they're old, they'll stick with the gospel. And I think the point is raise them up. And the amplified version says something like this, train up a child in the way he or she should go. And in keeping with their gift or bent, And then it says this, and even when they're old, they'll not depart from it. You know, we don't need to assume that they're going to wander. I think let's assume that they're going to stay on track. But part of the way you raise them with a heart for God is to discern, and this kind of goes along with that point one, their beauty, but discern what their gift or bent is. They're all different. And it's exciting to help a child grow with the grain instead of against it. I'll never forget one of ours, our youngest, happened to be really, really active. And we knew that from in utero, actually. And um, so active. And I remember one of his little preschool teachers said to me, I wonder if your little three-year-old has an authority issue. I was just like, (laughs) oh my goodness, he's my most compliant child, but he's just active. So I put him in a situation where he had some Montessori school education as a preschooler, great for kinesthetic learners. But then we funneled him into 
sports. And my goodness, you know, he's found a way to let that little motor um, take him across water really, really fast. And so was a swimmer. So he paid for college. So it's just with the grain, you know, in keeping with that gift or bent. And spiritual gifts too, I think. We saw one child uh, start throwing uh, balled up socks into lampshades when he was like two years old. And we went, duh. And and he's now a scholarship basketball awardee. Our daughter, we saw a penchant for languages. And beautiful she language ability. She had an amazing ability, ability to yeah. grasp languages. And right. so we started putting her in a language immersion program. Right. She learned how to speak French and Spanish fluently, yeah. was awarded yeah. the language award in her high school, yeah. and that allowed her to prosper. And, and it's interesting, you know, she did sports too, and, and really in a fine way, but the, the language was the part that I think just made music for her. But we saw it early on. We saw it early all on. Three. And you know, James Dobson wrote a book called Hide or Seek. And I'll tell you, like I said, I only remember about six or seven things that I read about kids with all these parenting books. Here's a second one. And he said this in Hide or Seek. He said, you know, you Christian parents need to realize what your kids are up against when they're out in this world. And they're going to be criticized for being Christians. If they, if they walk with the Lord, they're going to get persecuted some. They're going to be mistreated. They'll be made fun of. And he said, but you can do two things to help vaccinate their self-esteem so that they don't let low self-esteem pull them off the gospel. He said, make sure, I thought this was kind of cute, make sure you spend a reasonable amount of money on, the, on having decent clothes nice haircuts, make them physically attractive. You know, with all the the tricks of the trade that you have today, there's no reason you can't help your child be attractive. You know, nice hairdo, cute clothes. Don't let them feel like they're frumpy, and that's why people don't like them. So, so help them be physically, reasonably physically attractive. Not everybody has to be drop-dead gorgeous or super, super handsome, but just physically attractive. And then help them find a gift or talent to excel in. And if you'll do those two things, you'll help kind of solidify their self-esteem so that their walk with Christ is going to be the area they're going to get hit on. If they're going to get attacked, let it speak for their walk with Christ. So when you have children who are operating in their extraordinary giftedness and moving forward, uh, they don't have time to mess with drugs and alcohol. We get asked that question all the time, how to keep your kid from drinking and all those other things. And the answer is get them so involved in their giftedness, they're bent, they don't have time for it. And it's whatever their passion is. And they may not excel to the point that everybody in the world hands them awards, but you know what? If they find what they love, that's reward enough. And I think if they're passionate about whatever it is that they love and you help them go in that direction and then you're raising them for the Lord, um, I always told my kids, good grief, this is the one time in life where you can pursue your dreams and you got somebody else paying the bill. And if you're dumb enough to do drugs or alcohol, I feel sorry for you. I can't help you. <laughs> if you do drugs or alcohol, you're on your own. <laughs> Which leads to point number three, and that is challenge your child to dream big. One of our favorite verses, Psalm 112, verses 1 and 2. Blessed are those who fear the Lord, who find great delight in his commands. Their children will be mighty in the land. What a great promise. Their children will be mighty in the land. The generation of the upright will be blessed. Well, you know, David, that principle, I think that's a promise that we took for ourselves. That's not so much a parenting tip about 
how to raise your children. But you know what? I took that promise for myself, you know, that if I was going to really seek after the Lord with my whole heart, which I think is a really important parenting tip, as a matter of fact, seek after the Lord with your own heart and fear him and, and try to follow him in every way. It says our children will be mighty in the land. Now, other people might not know that they're mighty, but I'm going to know that they're mighty. And they're going to be um, maybe not outward leaders, but they're not going to be ones who follow the, the path of least resistance. They're going to be mighty in the land, and I, I think they'll make an impact on this world. I mean, good grief, this world is in such trouble. It's just as dark as I've ever seen it. And, you know, God needs your children and my children. He needs our children to be world changers in their own way, mighty in the land. Yeah, and it might mean also that we've got to be very engaged with them to keep them on the right track. This doesn't it's mean that we just let them go. We're no. still very involved. I mean, it's like a gardener in a garden it's trying to nurture on. the plants, hands-on, being aware of the growth, the weeds coming in, all those yeah. kind of things. It was high maintenance. It took a lot of time and effort. Um, but I think if you get the first couple of things in place, you know, you see their beauty, you grow them with the grain, then it's going to be um, pretty easy to help them dream big. I'll tell you this, try to um, take special note of what's happening in your child's life around age 9 or 10, because my experience is some pretty great dreams begin to flourish at about age 9 or 10. Um, and I don't know why that is. Ben Carson, who a lot of you know now, who's in the political circles, um, was a pediatric neurosurgeon, actually the chief of pediatric neurosurgery at Johns Hopkins for years. And he's been on my radar for two decades. Yeah, he, he was one of decades. your heroes long oh, before he goodness. became a potential Republican presidential Absolutely. candidate. Absolutely. He wrote the book Gifted Hands, and I mean, he had me at hello when I read that book because it's everything I believe. Now, he was raised in a situation where you would think this child will have anything but big dreams. Um, the mother uh, tried to commit suicide. Um, he and his brother were pretty much left to their own while she was in the hospital. He was 10 years old. He was flunking. His brother was 12. He was flunking. But their mother, Sonia, had an encounter with Jesus Christ while she was in the hospital. Um, now, let me just tell you what was going on in her life at the time. Her, she just found out her husband had a whole other family. So he had left her for this other family. He had carried on a double life all these years. She um, got married at age, I think it was 13. This is a pretty long number mm. of years ago. This was back in the day. But anyway, she was married at 13 or 14, had the two boys, raising them on her own, found out this husband has another family. Um, but the clincher for me is that she was illiterate. She couldn't read. But she accepted Jesus Christ, and she feels like one of the things that he encouraged her to do was to send the two boys, Ben and his brother, to the library every day. She wanted them to go to the library where she was working, and she said this, Benny, when you get home, you and Curtis, you need to write me a one-page paper about the books that you read. Well, slowly, Ben started getting to be a better reader, and he started reading books on science and then realized this was a passion of his. And then one of his school teachers noticed that this ghetto kid being raised in a ghetto school had a penchant for science. And the rest is history. He went on to get a full scholarship to Yale and then Johns Hopkins. And, you know, and the he, brother succeeded too, didn't The brother he? succeeded too. And, yeah. and many of you may know of Dr. Carson is the very first pioneer who separated uh, twins 
that were joined, Siamese twins that were joined at the head. I mean, he's just such a man of distinction. But he began to dream big, and his mother helped him dream big. And the irony is she couldn't read herself. And she couldn't read she her She was right. illiterate. She <laughs> pretended like she would read Ben's papers. And somebody that knows her told me that Sonia Carson is really the hero of the story. Mm-hmm. But you have to realize that it was what happened when Jesus Christ transformed her heart. And then she started dreaming big dreams for her children, even though they lived in the ghetto. And she had no resources. I remember I went to my dad when I was young, and I said, Dad, I want to play in the NBA one day, and he said, son, go for it. He said, shoot for the stars. And he said, and if you only get to the moon, you've never been to the moon before. And that was really wise counsel for me. I got to play professionally in Europe for several years, not the NBA, but I made it to the moon. And that was a pretty wonderful experience. Encourage your kids to, to their dream great dreams. Number four, build a team around your child. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. First Thessalonians 5 mm. is another verse. Encourage one another. Yeah. You need teammates to encourage the kids' extraordinary dreams. Oh, my goodness. You know, I think you need encouragement as a parent. Um, I don't know about you folks, but I just think parenting is an extremely humbling job. Um, I I was never like a real super confident parent as I was going along the way, and I was always thinking that I'd messed my kids up. You know, I was very fragile and and needed team support. We need each other. We couldn't have raised our children without the strength and the nurture of the people in the church that saw all these things in them, and sometimes even things that we couldn't see. We had coaches and teachers that even saw the beauty, if you want to go back to that term, the beauty of our children in ways that we couldn't. It was a very valuable thing. We need team support as parents, I think. You're listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Receiving criticism, even constructive criticism, is hard for anyone. Coming up, David joins me in a discussion about what Scripture says about growing through criticism. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and here is Jim Noble with the Dream Center Charlotte. Hello, my name is Jim Noble with the Charlotte Mecklenburg Dream Center. And Bo and I, the director of the Dream Center, wanted to take a minute and tell you guys thank you. Moments of hope. David and Marilyn Chadwick, all of you there, Dean, we all have been phenomenal for us. Uh, You've been there since 08 when we started King's Kitchen, and that kind of grew into the Dream Center. And the meals we've fed the last eight weeks, probably exceeding 55,000 now, I guess. Uh, We're so grateful you guys have made such an impact in the city by reaching out to those that have needs greater than we have. And uh, what do you think, Bo? Yeah, so it's been amazing to to just watch the the work that's happened um, with the meals as they've gone out. You know, uh, I always tell people it's not about the food, it's about the relationships that are formed and the ministry that takes place. And so, um, and JT Williams and Thomas Burrow and Reed Park, I mean, it has opened up doors that we never thought would be open. Um, You know, we've seen people come out um, and just welcomed us with open arms, just so grateful for the meals and, and we just thank you moments of hope and just this couldn't be this wouldn't be possible without you guys and you know uh the, the first call we made uh when we decided to go this route 
and provide these meals was the moments of hope and it was uh, a phone call that was met with a resounding yes and so we're so appreciative of you guys and just um, everything you all do for us and for the kingdom. And not only that, but you uh, also sewed into our kitchen in the Dream Center now. This week started producing meals there and as the restaurants open back up, all the meals will shift to the Dream Center with the kitchen you helped us do. So we're so grateful for you guys. God bless you. God bless Moments of Hope. And we just pray an unlimited return and harvest on the seed you sowed into this ministry. Thank you very much. Jen Houston, thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thanks so much for being with us today. Hi, Jen. Great being with you again today. Well, one of your recent devotions was called How to Avoid Criticism. I want to know how to do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's talk about it because it's one of my Davidisms that I've learned through the years, and I'll talk at the end of this about what Davidisms are, but it's one that really has helped me a lot as I've learned this truth. Mm-hmm. None of us like criticism. It's just painful when we hear it, and we just don't like it. And here's a surefire way, though, that we can avoid any form of criticism in our lives. Are you ready, Jim? Yes. Here it is. Never stand up for anything. Hmm. If you want to avoid criticism, never stand for anything. Uh, Many people fear criticism. It scorches their soul. It hurts their hearts. And what fear drives them then is to please everyone, to never take a stand, Mm -hmm. to avoid conflict at all costs. It's just no way to live, though. There's a problem with people pleasers. If you love Jesus, you must stand up for truth. Jesus did, and he expects us to do so as well. Uh, He says, for example, in John 15, that the pupil is not above the teacher, that if they criticize the teacher, they're going to criticize the pupil. We need to expect it to happen. It has been forewarned to us that we'll have tribulation in the world, John 16, 33. Jesus said that we'll be persecuted if we stand for truth, especially. He said in Matthew 5, 11, as they persecuted the prophets for preaching truth, so they'll persecute you if you preach truth. It's just a part of following Jesus. So if you're a people pleaser, you can't follow Jesus. Mm -hmm. If you're going to follow Jesus, you must take a stand, and that will invite criticism. Now, there's a good side to criticism, though, in Jesus' mind. Criticism proves you are truly standing for him. You are faithfully following him. Again, the only way to avoid criticism is to never stand for anything. But if you get criticism for following Jesus, it shows that you're standing for him. If you are standing for nothing, you're living a milk toast, tepid life rooted in only pleasing yourself. Instead of pleasing people, though, folks, try this. Seek only to please God. Feel his daily smile. Hear his well done. Understand you're playing to an audience of one. Carson Wentz, the Philadelphia Eagles quarterback, has an organization he has founded called AO1. And trying to please Philadelphia Eagles fans is really something else. (laughs) He realized that he plays to an audience of one. He's trying to please God and God alone. Mm -hmm. But when he does so, he recognizes he'll get some criticism from the world. And that, again, proves that you're faithfully Mm -hmm. following 
Jesus. When you do so, the opinions of others just don't greatly matter. This is such a good reminder for me. Somebody who is a naturally a middle child, I want to people please all the time, but this is such a good reminder. So do you want to give me a criticism today, Jen, of my Davidism, my moment of hope? (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I was thinking of a few. Oh, no. (laughs) Well, that's okay if you have them because that helps me grow as well. And everyone, if you'd like to receive these daily Davidisms, which are phrases that I've learned through the years from coaches, mentors, my father, others, and you want to get them in a written form, please go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there from my heart to yours at 7 a.m. every morning, I'll give you a written moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of that service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also check out David's weekly HopeCast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston. Have a great weekend.